Hi, my name is uh, Ozzy Jurok. I'm the host of OzBuzz, and we have guests that are eclectic, that are successful, and that are real estate oriented. And today I'm very happy to welcome Ralph Case, my partner of 25 years or so, where together we have maybe bought and sold some close to 3,000 units in British Columbia and, and in the United States and all over. And we'll talk about the markets, we talk about interest rates, we talk about mortgages, where to buy, what to buy, and what not to buy. Welcome, Ralph. Thank you, Ozzy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we, we, we could should start out. What do you think about this mad market that we seem to be in right now? Um, it, uh, mad is a good word for it. We've seen unprecedented income, uh, interest rate rises and a market that still seems to be robust, which surprises me. I, I thought it would have slowed down more than it did. So I think my take on it is telling people to prepare for interest rates that are higher. I don't think they're going to go down significantly. We're certainly not going to see the 3% rates that we saw a year ago or a little over a year ago. So, you know, just adjust to the new market. Uh, if you were buying in the 1990s, uh, 5 or 6% or 7% interest rate was unbelievable. We were buying at 12% interest rates and in the early 80s at 19% interest rates. So yeah. get used to it. And uh, I don't know whether prices are going to alter. I think we have to get used to higher prices. Well, it's funny. I used to be the president of Oil Page and I was on national TV and I said, 12% is a good rate for the family. And it was. And it was because we came from 16. Well, the crazy thing is I did show in my Osbaz newsletter, I showed a 50-year history of five-year terms. And only five of those 50 years, we actually had a mortgage rate that was below 5%. 45 years, it was above 5%. But of course, if you're a millennial or just got into the market in your early 20s, you think 2 or 3%, that's normal, right? Well, it isn't normal, you know, as you said, get used to it. Now, one of the interesting things is that we are close to September 6th and we expect the Bank of Canada to do something. And we live in this mad of all possible worlds where if the market, if the economy is really good and strong, then interest rates are going to go up, which is bad for the housing market because the government wants us to come down in our inflation. On the other hand, if we have a lousy market condition and things are really bad, that's good for interest rates. You know, so you say to you scratch your head. You know, it's a crazy world out there. Yeah. The interesting thing is how high rents are. You know, a one bedroom, three thousand dollars a month in downtown Vancouver. It's mind-boggling that you know somebody that's paying that rent is paying it in after-tax income, and you know where do they get this money? My God, yeah, it's, it scares it, me. It, no question about it. The other thing too is that costs, building costs have gone up so much, and this is one thing maybe for September six that new construction has dropped actually eight point eight point something percent in the second quarter. Renovation spending has dropped. The increase in costs are, you know, scaring people a little. And maybe that'll mean the government will not raise rates. But in any case, we'll live with all mortgage rates because I think you believed, like I too, that buying real estate in the end is the thing to do. Yeah, fundamentally, there is inflation, no matter what the government says. I mean, for years, you've been saying this. And for years, real estate has been the, the one bastion that saves us from inflation. You know, you look at the prices of our houses and Really, it's not that, you know, in terms of buying power, we're just staying even, you know. I mean, $100,000 bought you a lot more in 1981 than it does now. 
Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, we forget, you know, particularly newbies in the market saying, well, inflation is 3%. Well, really, I mean, when we look in the, in the 60s, an ice cream cone was 10 cents. In the 70s, a chocolate bar was 15 cents. And today, that same chocolate bar is $4, right? Or the ice cream cone is what? One ball is six bucks. That's inflation in everything, all things. So why wouldn't real estate uh, conversely uh, up dramatically too? Now, one of the things is we have bought a lot of uh, real estate. I mean, we have bought apartment buildings in British Columbia. We converted them. We, we strata titled them. We, we, we were involved in, in many different areas. Oh, we buy, we were part of partnerships in the United States. And one of the things that we always felt that you should fix your mortgage. You should go and fix your mortgage if you want to keep the building. Yeah, I think of it as fire insurance or like fire insurance. If if you have a fire insurance policy and your house doesn't burn down, you still don't regret having bought fire insurance. So, you know, like you say, through the years, we've been saying lock in, lock in, lock in so that you can sleep at night. And, you know, now, um, you know, people that didn't lock in, they're feeling the heat. Well, that, the crazy thing is that, of course, we, we, we also used to teach that if you go Long term, always go and fix the rate for the time and length you want to keep the property. If you're a flipper or a shark, you want to do foreclosures and you get in and out of the market quickly. Yeah, then move to put the mortgage on a variable short term rate of the other conditions that make you do that. One of the examples is that we bought a property in the United States in, in Phoenix and it was close to university and it was about four and a half million dollars. I forget about 60 units or so. And we went long on the mortgage because everything was great. They were, we bought it at the right price. It was a strong area. We like to be beside universities for tenants and so on. Well, we were on it not what six weeks and the university called us up and said, I want to buy it. And I said, well, we don't really want to buy it. We just paid for it. Well, we pay you a million dollars more. Well, so we told our investors, would you like to do it? And after a big debate, which lasted 30 seconds, we said, no, let's do it. And then came the big surprise or not a surprise was we had locked in the mortgage and the mortgage penalty was what? About a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was higher than that, but who cares? We made a million bucks in six weeks. So can't complain. (laughs) That's that can happen. And that's what a lot of mortgage brokers are telling us today should go short because the penalty could be that big. Not if you have your own rules and saying, look, I'm going to go long so I can sleep at night. This is an investment. We don't have to worry about surprises. And that's not something we're saying now because it's it's been proven to be right. We've said it all along for the last 10 years when the, the wisdom was always uh, to go short. The interesting thing, I mean, there's always a, the decision of whether to buy or to sell, you know, or whether to sell or to hang on. And I always think if you have something to move sideways to, it, you know, sell, but otherwise hang on because real estate has been a winner. And for that Coulter Meadows example, we made the million bucks and yes, we took a hit on the mortgage penalty, but we went over to University Commons and bought another building right next to the university. And that one we held for a few years and we made multi-millions on that one. So I don't regret that we sold. I mean, in all possible worlds, yes, we would have held everything for longer, but we were smart to sell when we did in Phoenix because now it's not a time to, you know, it, it's tough times for people holding buildings in Phoenix. Well, so I'd rather the United, yeah, I know you're right. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that afterwards you can always say we could have done this. Almost every building, that's perhaps a good reason why you should always buy real estate because almost every building we owned in the last 
25 years. We could have yeah. kept, right? It all made oh, yeah. sense to keep it, but we needed the money and we bought something else and we wrote the market up. I, I once uh, spoke to a very, very successful investor. I said, what's your secret? And he said, I always sold too early. Because <laughs> you can never be... sell exactly the perfect time, right? So no. sell too late or too all early? Right. It's better to sell too early. One thing is for sure, somebody that tells you, well, I, I sold it at the top or I sold it at the bottom. Well, you know, give it, give or, it, you yeah, might have been lucky. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> so we have to keep principles. The number one principle, real estate is good. You see a good deal, don't care what the market's doing, buy it and hang on to it. You'll and that's happy. that's true even in this tough market. In fact, you know, I look at some of the assignments we have in the marketplace right now where people got stuck on buying, sometimes greedily buying three or four pre-sale condos. Now got to, they got to close, they can't. And in some cases, they're interested in walking away from the, the deposit. And you might make 60, 70 or more thousand dollars. But the thing is, you, you mentioned the word principles. It keeps to mind that I, I believe and you believe that inflation will be even higher down the road. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but it's been, no matter, you look at this chart from the bottom left to the top right for the last 40 years, and you can see sort of a straight line up, but it was never straight. There was always other influences, and that's why I think the second principle is timing. You know, I mean, in 1990, you could have bought a house in Burnaby for 280000 In 1995, you could have sold it for 400000 The 1998 was back to 280000 What did it have to do with location? It had to do with timing that the Hong Kong Chinese came in droves, then thought mainland China did a good job repatriating Hong Kong. They all went back. So you got to understand the trend. And I think you have a trend in mind that, that people should be looking at right now. Well, I, I think the trend I have in mind is is to be careful because interest rates have gone up. And I always go with momentum. And so far, the momentum is not switched. We'll see what happens on Wednesday. But the momentum has been up. So don't count on interest rates magically going down when the momentum is up. Don't buck the trend. So if you're in cash, guard that cash and, and look for the, the amazing deal. But if, if the amazing deal doesn't turn up, don't don't be anxious. Just wait. You know, there's another bus that will come along. If you miss one bus, wait for the next bus. Very true. But one of the things that we look at, if you look at inflation and timing, the word trend always comes to mind. That's why we were trending our pre-sale activities, because really, your case investment realty, that's all we do. We buy pre-sales and then only with developers if you personally check out and the money that we put personally in, like we always buy units ourselves. But you mentioned to me just the other day, you thought Edmonton might really be developing into a trend, like Alberta seeing a lot of immigration coming now from the rest of the country and from the rest of the world because of price and lifestyle. And and we were early going to Edmonton. Well, I think Alberta's got a lot of things going for it. Calgary's been booming lately with multiple offers and rising prices. Edmonton, you and I got into in 2019, and it's been doing great. We bought some condos, and our investors bought some condos. And Edmonton's got a lot of things going for it. The price of oil is strong. We have the Ukrainian situation, and Ukraine, uh, Edmonton has a big Ukrainian population, so I think there will be lots of immigration of Ukrainian refugees into Edmonton. So growing population, uh, you know, people go where jobs grow. I think there's job growth in Edmonton, and, you know, it's, it's just a, a market that looks like it's going to go up. Uh, it usually follows Calgary, if you look at past history, so it probably will continue to do that. 
And so Calgary's going up. So that means that Edmonton probably will bounce back. It's been a, a tough slog for the last few years. Well, it is government town, so it has a lot of government em- employment uh, there, and it's it's sort of steady. But it's like you say, we went there early, but we got we went there early because we got a smashing deal from the developers. So whenever you can get a smashing deal, <laughs> you know, you can throw everything else out of the window. I think we bought something provenly 20% below market, and we bought brand new, and we bought owner-built, like an engine you have owner-built, which means you have heated floors and all these wonderful things, or tenant-built, which don't have all these goodies. But it's funny, we just did a did a video on Edmonton uh, with Curtin, uh, and he um, he pointed out that he had condos as low as $47,000. Now, it's, it's not a princely residence, but there are opportunities uh, in Alberta and the trend. Maybe right now, might be going there. Another trend that you and I, we only want to buy close to transit-oriented developments, let's say in the suburb like city, uh, Surrey, because transit-oriented developments is the future. You know, a lot of the millennials don't even bother buying a car, but you've got to be close to transportation. And then you go where people go, like Surrey was a place people go. The Fraser Valley is naturally uh, a, gro- a growth area for us. So that's we as a company we were, we were really uh, focusing on. Yeah, I think don't bet against the lower mainland. It's always been a strong engine of growth. If you look at the historical numbers, um, you know, it's it's a just an upward trajectory. So, you know, I think particularly for a personal residence, if you're making the decision of rent or buy, it's always a no-brainer that you should buy. You know, buy something, don't waste your rent at, and plan to pay it off and have an asset that's free and clear and you never pay rent again. That's that's the number one strategy of real estate as far as I'm concerned. Well, and another thing you always preached, as long as I know you, buy a suite in the building, right? Get a mortgage helper. Yes, Buy buy a house with a, a basement suite or buy a duplex and let the, the tenants next to you pay off your mortgage. And these days with the technology and the Airbnb possibilities, the income that you can generate from a suite are staggering. Yeah, and, and you need it. You know, I mean, the mortgage you need it. Higher, yeah. the interest rates are higher. But the other thing is we have immigration. Everybody hears the numbers. It's a million people coming. And where do they go? Vancouver and Toronto and so on. But the surprising thing on August 26th was that Benjamin Tall from CIBC put out a report where he says there's another million people uncounted for, which are the non-residence people. And it's, it's mind-boggling. There can be as many as a million people, but that's what the, the, the headlines were full of. So imagine, we have already have no accommodation for a million people. We have stopped construction, new construction, second quarter, we're down 8%. We stopped renovating. You have all of these things, and now another million people coming. And people think prices are coming down any minute now. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. coming, you know, the pressure is yeah, the pressure is going to be simply uh, too strong. Well, the other thought is it's always seemed expensive. When my parents were in a market with the 1960s with twenty thousand dollar houses, or the 1970s where they're fifty thousand, and then the 1980s they're a hundred to two hundred thousand, and you know it just keeps. It's always seemed expensive and. When you're sitting here 20 years later looking back, it's like, why didn't you buy dozens? Well, because <laughs> that seemed like a lot of money. Our, our children 20 years from now are going to say, Ralph, you're, you were the guru. Why the hell didn't you buy 100 houses? Well, yeah. damn it, it was expensive. I tried. I did my best. I've done pretty good. 
<laughs> well, and that's the thing when people always, I think, and I, I always hear the same things every year. People say three things. Too many realtors in the business. Young people can no longer afford to buy. And I wish I bought five years ago, right? Those are the three yeah. statements we get. But young people cannot afford to buy forever. We had a very well-known fellow from University of British Columbia 25 years ago told our investment group that Vancouver has never been affordable. That was 25 years ago. It was never affordable. We always, you know, you're supposed to only pay 30% of your income in your mortgage. Well, Vancouver is about 60%. Hey, it's like Hong Kong or London or Manhattan. You want to live there, it's not going to be affordable. Certainly not by edict and by laws and extra taxes that we seem to be uh, looking for to solve, solve our problems right now. I agree. Well, the other thing is, of course, that in the past, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book, Forget About Location, in 1998, the average price was 278000 And in there, I sort of thought, well, if we go back to 1963, 35 years previous to 1998, the price was 13500 <laughs> I mean, 13500 and went to this enormous price of 278000 in 1998. And I thought, well, if we kept on printing money, and if that was the real reason why this has happened for the last 35 years, then maybe 35 years after 1998, we would have a $5 million price in Vancouver. And people thought, they told me, stop drinking beer, right? They don't realize, of course, that beer is really a health food. But they thought a beer was adult my brains. Well, last year, the West Side clocked in at $4.4 million, right? Our average price, now average, that's every shack in Vancouver from Mission to Lions Bay is averaged at over $2.3 million in August. Well, it did work that inflation adjusted idea. And if this keeps on going, we're just getting used to the higher numbers, but the higher numbers will be there. And many of those properties are mortgage free. So when the children inherit them, there's going to be a lot of moolah in the market to make prices go higher. You know, it's just supply and demand. That is such an important point. This is the backbone of a wealthy society or a well-off society. If we have 65% of the people owning their own property and leave that money to their children, that's how you build wealth. They have that foot in the door. We always talk about the bank of mom and dad. Well, that's a real thing. And you've been to Europe. In many places in Europe, that's a normal thing where the parents buy, uh, help to get the kids into real estate. Yeah, we were in Croatia, and I think the number was 94%. It was it was staggering. But, you know, the important thing is we still have this tax law that our personal residence is tax-free as far as the appreciation goes. We have to make sure we don't let the government pull that out from under us. That is one of the key things is all these properties that are free and clear. It's been the cornerstone of people's retirement planning, their wealth planning, Um you know, it's just what do you live your life for to build something? And they built this equity. So we got to make sure that it doesn't get taken away. And I tell you, they're lusting after it, the governments, but they're looking for. And we have actually a, a, a situation where the although the government had, had such a backlash against the idea, they're still working on it. They paid $450,000 to our very own UBC professor Kershaw to come up with a, a masterful idea to, to get at our tax-free um, capital gains. Well, he didn't come up with that, but last year he came up with a wealth, wealth tax. So everything over a million dollars would be charged 1% a year. 
So I guess in 20 years, on your million-dollar house, you owe $20,000. Oh, by the way, uh, $200,000. Oh, if you're on a $2 million average, you owe a lot more. And what they don't realize is if I ever sell that house and then pay the government it's two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, but I buy, you don't get it for two or three hundred, four hundred thousand less. It just is even. It's just a, it just because of the, the values have gone up. Well, you say, oh, well, they, he brought that out and everybody said it's not going to happen. And we voted it down by being upset. Well, right now, Mr. Trudeau had a meeting. When I say right now, it's the end of August. And they had a retreat. And guess who was the featured speaker? Mr. Kershaw. So <laughs> hang on to your head. What Ralph just said, be careful and vigilant. Don't let them do it. We have now a wealth tax already. We have the, We have a vacant home tax. We have a a, a speculation tax. We we, we have a, a non-foreign investment in other parts of our uh, country. We have wealth taxes in in immigration taxes. Everything is taxed to to the hilt. And the funny thing is, in Vancouver now, they want want us to let our single-family home and build a sixplex on it. And the reason I put it into one of the Osbas, actually, the government will make more money than the person converting the the property into a sixplex. Unbelievable. Just so, because, just because of the taxes. Yeah. So I think you know we're not being doomsayers. We're just saying stay vigilant. You know, don't just sit back and uh, you know quietly let our politicians come up with these crazy ideas. Okay, Rob. So, so, so part of your strategy as an investor is is also. Um, um, are you always looking for deals? Are you always open to look or do you just take yes, off? Yes, I'm always looking for deals, but I also, you know, and I'm at a stage in life where it's more risk uh, averse than than I was when I was younger. So I think, you know, look at if you're in the, your 20s and under 30, you should buy anything in sight because in 20 years, you're going to be 40 to 50 and you're still in your peak earning years. So just buy something that you know is not a big uh, alligator that's going to eat you alive. Buy something that has cash flow and that will sustain itself. But don't look to make huge cash flow. Just think of the appreciation over the long term. Buy something that will break even. That's fine. If it's in a good location, it's something that you want to hold forever. Uh, if you're in your 40s to 50s, be, you know, take your your uh, foot off the gas pedal a little. Look at you know extending mortgages. Uh, maybe at a higher interest rate, but it gives you more certainty. It gives you uh, less risk. And then if you're in your 60s, then start scaling back. Like, you know, keep some cash, be able to ride out any kind of a storm that happens. And so, yeah, it's definitely determined on age. And I think uh, me, for one, I'm always looking for deals. Well, it's, I have a slide that I've had for 20 years where I'm saying over 70, have 50% in cash because there's nothing more sad than have an old person at the checkout counter because they have to still work over 70. The other thing is under 30 or under 40, you can make it back if you make a mistake. You can't make it back easily after 60 or 70. But the other thing is you should have some principles yourself. I think one of the best principles I have a heard you talk about at length was that when you buy something out of town, have good property management. Yes, never remove subject conditions unless you've identified who the property manager is. And as I age, I, I rely less on property managers and more on joint venture partners. So I, I usually identify a partner 
And then if they're in a market that is good, I will buy something 50-50 because I think if you can make uh, you know 100% return of 50%, it's a lot better than 100% return of 0%. Like if, <laughs> if, if you buy nothing, yeah. you're not going to make any money. I'd rather buy with a partner and split the profit and have them do the work and yeah. just buy two properties instead of one. That's that's my mantra lately. When I was younger, I would you know want to control it and buy it myself and do all the work. And yeah. <laughs> you get older, like, oh, I want to go on you know, a beach vacation. <laughs> yeah, I'll go crabbing as I've seen you uh, do uh, on holidays at length. But the point is, you know, you have you also deserve it. When you get older, we should take more time off. But most of us don't, right? We always, and particularly if you don't have any money, that is the hard part right now. And I believe, and you believe, that buying a piece of real estate, whether it's half a pie with a joint venture or whether it's yourself with a mortgage helper, Get some good advice. Get a realtor that works his, his or her profession diligently. Don't get somebody that practices on you. You know, you want to have some, some real good advice. Get a good real estate accountant, a good real estate lawyer. I mean, plan it. You know, join maybe a group of people that are like-minded as you are. Like we used to have the real estate action group that, that people meet once a month and share information. And uh, then you feel better uh, in, in, a, in a group uh, than if you're just all by yourself. The and, whole go ahead, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, and the, the other thing is if you're gonna do a joint venture, make sure you spend a lot of time on uh vetting that joint venture partner because you're gonna live with them. You know, it's don't just say, Oh, they said this is a good deal, and you know, they're in a real estate group that I joined. I wanna, you know, yeah. I'm gonna hand him some money. Like, yeah. no, you have to spend some time with them, you know, go play golf with them. You know, yeah. on <laughs> the golf course, maybe they'll cheat you when you're you're doing your real estate investment, you know. Yeah, if they throw in the if they throw away their club in the third hole, you know, you start to worry. You know, what 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 will they do if there's ever a cash call or, or something uh, happen? No question about it. You know, you want to trust your partner, but in order to trust, you have to trust utterly. And if they ask, if you ask a few questions and they're already huffing and puffing, walk away. You know, it is a hundred percent. I mean. I once bought a, a boat with three partners. So first of all, people always tell me, you should never buy a boat. It's a hole in the water in which you pour money. People, they, to me, the enjoyment of the boat overweighs that. I also always wanted a bigger boat. And I said, well, to buy a boat is, is crazy. To buy a boat with partners, even more crazy. Well, the four of us, we sat in, in a room one Sunday afternoon, and we wrote down every possible situation that could have happened in a partnership. If one of us died, the other three would buy out the wife. You know, if you could not know allowed on dogs and pets, no matter how much you loved them, you can't have it. When it was your turn, like everybody had two weeks and something. Anyways, the point was I gave that piece document to a lawyer years later, and he says, Ozzy, he says, this would hold up in court. It's not registered, but it's very clear what the intent of the parties were. And Ralph, it worked like a charm. And we were able to buy three times the size of the boat than otherwise we could have. But we were, <clears throat> we knew each other, we asked the right questions, we knew who was smoking and who wasn't, you know, and all of those kind of things. And when you buy a piece of real estate where you have a much larger investment generally than a boat, then you you really want to make sure that you that you have analyzed your partners. That's the best possible advice. Yeah. And who's gonna do what? Who's gonna count the money? Who's gonna do the accounting? Who's gonna do the property management? Who's gonna do the maintenance? There's so so many things that can cause a disagreement. You have to get a uh, an agreement in place between you. Well, the interesting thing is people borrow money from their parents and uh, 
they don't put it in writing and, and the parents really expect their money back and the kids think it's a gift, right? So spell it out. What exactly uh, is the reason for the money? I know that you, uh, you're always very eager to help your, well, maybe not eager, but you're certainly willing to help your children to buy real estate and you've proven that. And so when, uh, when one of your sons bought a piece of real estate, just like my daughter, and my, my kids, um, you, you advanced him the funds, but when he made a profit on it, you, you clawed it back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it can be nice, but not too nice. You got to teach him a little bit. So anyway, I think, yeah, you know, going back uh, decades, I think it's always been important for parents to help out their kids a little bit. You give them a little bit of a boost and it makes all the difference. Because if you can buy a few years earlier with a, a loan from your parents, it helps you get in the market and then you you participate in that appreciation. Well, but it's also important to say, you know what, we want the money back. You know, as we yes. get older, the point is you can you cannot get it anyways in the long run. But the point is make sure that you understand it's an obligation because I think to some extent we have a world right now where our millennials, not all our millennials, but expect that everything is paid for by somebody. The government, there's always somebody else will pay and they'll always vote for Peter if Peter votes that Paul will pay us. So right? I mean we always so I think that um, that yes, help your kids by all means, but make sure that you understand yeah. that What's you have the old, expectation to have it back. The old parable to to teach someone to fish, don't just give them a fish, right? Yeah. You teach them to fish, then they'll go catch more fish. So when when my kids are buying real estate, I I you know give them the details, but I also have them go out and look for their own deals, and and I walk through deals that they find and whether they're good or they're bad. So. Well, yeah. funny. We had a we had a deal in Surrey, and uh, both my daughter and you know my daughter bought, and it was one of those rare things where almost immediately uh, she had an offer to, where she made a hundred thousand dollars, and she says, "Papa, I'd like to do that again." Well, yeah, everybody wants to do that again, <laughs> but you got to realize this is not what always happens very very quickly, right? You you check check out the area, and certainly when we at your case investment realty. We're not interested in taking a lot of listings. We're not interested in representing just anybody for a, some sort of a commission. We want to check out the builder. We think in a pre-sale building, you essentially buy the builder. Is he going to finish? Has he locked in his costs, you know, his, his wood costs, his rebar, everything that for a building that takes four years to build? Will the building be actually rebuilt? Then is it an area? Is it transit-oriented development? All those things that, that we want people to look at. And then we put out our own money. We buy two units in some cases. Do you, you bought two, I bought two, and our company bought one, right? And so yeah. then our investors know, we, we don't know the future. Who knows what's going to happen? But we are right beside you, with, with you, shoulder by shoulder. And the, the most successful investor clients of ours are the ones that hold for the long term. You know, some want to buy and then say, hey, what can I sell it for right now? Well, by the time you pay the commission and your GST and you want to sell immediately, it's not a recipe for success. You should buy it on the undertaking that you're going to hang on to it for five, 10 years and, yeah. you know, really let the market go. I mean, we, we got super lucky. Let's face it. Like you buy a pre-sale and it appreciates $100,000 in a, a year while you only have the deposit down. That's not going to happen every time. You <laughs> hope it does, but not likely. You know, in the Maverick, it took a little slower, but it still happened. So about a year after they were up 100000 but a few of our investors wanted to sell right away no. and they didn't participate in it. Like you get right to the breach of 
of success and then you bail. Like you can't do that. You got to be patient. That that is so important to uh, to really con- continue to think about that. You say, okay, this is an investment for me. You know, I'm in an area I want to be. It's transit oriented. Are there tenants available? What what is the are there jobs? You know, people grow, values grow where people go, and people go where the jobs are. And so Surrey was great for us. We we liked it. We've been offered all sorts of areas to present, but we kind of like that area. And then we look at the builder, what has he built before, you know, has he finished, you know, and it's not that important that a builder is always perfect, but what does he do when something doesn't work out, right? So if you're comfortable ourselves, then we have a deal with the developer that allows us to tell our people what to buy in the building and what not to. I know that that we have seen, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of apartment buildings and walked them physically. And all buildings have good suites and bad suites, or, or maybe not as well located ones. And so what our investors at Cure Case Investment Realty, what they're getting is we usually get a week before the general launch, we get an evening where our investment can come in and then can take a look at the building. And then we say, well, don't buy over a garage, don't buy, you know, don't buy over the entrance, don't buy over the garbage can, you know, uh, and here there's another building coming up and maybe the view is better there. And that's all they're getting from us. We don't we don't believe in getting big discounts. I mean, if we could, fine. But generally speaking, you always end up paying it somehow. But if you buy the right unit in a building, that three years from now where you can take possession with pride and get good rental income or live there, then that's what you want. You want to have all of that together. But that night, we say to people, don't tell me you need to talk to your mother and your uncle and your aunt. No, you make a decision, yes or no. A maybe is a no, right? We, we need to know. And then we present the owners uh, with the offers. It's signed and it's done, whatever happens that night. Now, sometimes the developer says, oh, well, all you want is a listing afterwards. No, we either have investors and we either like it ourselves and we, we have buyers and we're ready to complete or we don't. There is no other interior hidden message on, on us to have big growth. Did we sell anything last year? We didn't like anything that we saw. Mm-hmm. Are we looking this year? We just even went out of town to to look at a at a particular area. So we're always looking, but when we present something to the investors, then we believe in it, and that's really all you can ask for for any partners. I think that's a unique thing about Jurok Case Investment Realty that you just mentioned. That you know we have so little overhead that if we don't see a good deal, we just we'll go to the beach. Like <laughs> a whole year went by, we didn't sell anything because we didn't see anything that was good. Like the the trend, the uh, momentum of interest rates was going up. Uh, there weren't any deals, you know, that were staring us in the face. So we said, listen, you know, stand pat, hold on to your cash. Let's see if, uh, you know, better deals show up in in next year. And if they don't this year, well, we'll wait till next year. We're patient. Well, it's a point, right? Because you have a lot of companies that have a, a, an overhead that is a killer. You know, my old boss always told me you're either very small or very large in terms of your overhead. Like if it's very large and a very large gross income, fine. But if you're in the middle somewhere, you know, you get killed by your own overhead uh, quite often. Well, we don't have that problem, as, as Ralph points out. We have a small office. You come into our office, there are no big carpets that, that you sink into. It's a nice, clean downtown Vancouver office, but we, we don't spend much time there. And if I ever can track down Ralph, he probably is, as he said, Montenegro, 
Where are you going three or four days from now? Do, am I allowed to say this? Tahiti, <laughs> you know, we're just for a few weeks here and a couple of months there. But that's the point. Isn't that what we all want and work for? Thinking yeah. properly, planning, and then acting. You know, in the end, action is everything. And that that no matter what the world is, we live in paradise. I mean, our immigration offices around the world are packed with people that want to come here. And we're here and we're complaining, right? We should believe, we know how much we like Vancouver. We ski, you know, we boat, we enjoy the, we enjoy the city and to buy real estate in, in our area where we have three areas we can't expand into. There's the ocean, there's the, the United States and there are the mountains. All we can do is get more people into an area and that's always good for real estate. Yeah. My, you know, back to your question of what sort of investments I'm looking for, am I always looking? I have to have principles. And my principle basically is it has to be positive cash flow. You know, that that's one of the, the key things if I'm going to buy a property. And also, I have to keep in mind liquidity. So, you know, I think, uh, like you say, Vancouver is going to do very, very well. If you're a young person, if you haven't bought your own personal residence, go buy a pre-sale, put some money down so that at least you're participating in the market because you're living here a long, long time and you're paying a lot of money in rent. So think about how you can take that money and actually build something. Yeah, and I just want to make, make sure this video is not done so that we sell more pre-sales. No, right now, if you came to our office, can you sell me a pre-sale? We would say no, because mm -hmm. we haven't checked out something that we put our own money into. But when we do, and you want to get invited to a meeting, just Go to JCIR, Jura Case Investment Realty.ca. Put down your name in the in the email. And if you forget that, go to ozbuzz.ca, which is my, my newsletter. It's a free newsletter subscription. You can look at our numbers that we come up with uh, every month. And then just let us know. Yes, we'd be interested to, to any Zoom meeting you have on a specific uh, thing. Then we'd be happy to invite you to that. And then you make up your own mind. Well, Ralph. We've come to the end of this thing, but we want to do this maybe on a monthly basis. So this is September of 2023. We're going to see you, if not sooner, in early October. Yes. Bye-bye.